So, hey, we're going to be jumping back into the book of Acts. We're in Acts 13. If you brought your Bible, you can go ahead and turn there. In fact, I would love you to turn to your Bible because we're going to cover a chunk of Scripture today, and I want you to have the opportunity to follow along. So we're talking this morning about this concept of revival. In fact, this, um, this message is entitled, uh, The Anatomy of Revival. So we're going to take a look at revival as it's breaking loose in the book of Acts. Now, I don't know if you know what revival is all about. For me, I, I, my memories of revival is my grandma talking about revival. My grandma would always say, America needs revival again. And, uh, and so she, like revival was this big thing to her. But we're going to take a look at what that actually looks like and what that means. So a little bit about revival. The, revival is simply this. It's defined as a renewed attention or interest in something. So it's kind of shining the light on something that you may have already known, but you're seeing it from a different vantage point. You're, you're, it's coming alive again for you. And we, the, the church has experienced, Christianity has experienced multiple revivals throughout history. In fact, when you go all the way back to the nation of Israel, they had multiple revivals that they experienced because they kept drifting away from God. And they were God's people. They were set apart for his purposes. And so he would raise up an individual that would, that would cast the light again and call people back. He raised up kings and prophets to bring the people back. And it always started with an individual. In fact, King Josiah is one of these individuals that God raised up. He raised him up and King Josiah came in and he, he said, we've gotten so far off track as a nation. And so he, they destroyed all the pagan um, statues and, and worship and they focused once again on God. Well, in our own American history, we've experienced God's revival as well throughout our history. In fact, in, um, in 1906, there was a significant movement of God called the Azusa Street Revival. There's a guy named William Seymour who, who um, he, with others, started contending for the powerful move of the Spirit. And they saw God's Spirit poured out in a fresh and dynamic way. And in fact, that revival that took place right here in California, it actually uh, was the catalyst for the Pentecostal movement, the belief that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and functioning for all believers today. And so there was a new understanding. God was casting the light again on the gospel in a way that awakened people. And then there was another one um, in the 70s, the Jesus movement happened. And some of you might remember this. This was a kind of an awakening to Jesus being the center point of my personal life. And there was a renewed interest in not the God of high church, this unattainable deity, but a God that was personal. And out of that flowed a personal worship that spawned the whole movement of contemporary Christian music. And so we still, in our worship and in our expression as, um, as believers of the Holy Spirit and a Pentecostal church, we are still um, reaping the benefits of this re these revivals that happened in our history. It's God reshining the light on the gospel, the truth that has been timeless. But sometimes we need an awakening to help us realize these things again. Well, this is what's happening in Acts. When we go back to the book of Acts, this is the original awakening 
of the church taking shape and God reminding the Jewish people, hey, this, the, the, the truth is there. I'm still a God who's calling you to me. I've sent Jesus to you now to be that light. And so the gospel is going out and we're seeing it expand and, 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 and it's, it's, it's earth shattering to people because they're seeing um, God in a completely different way that they've never seen before. Can you um, just, I wonder if you can remember back to when your heart began to shift towards the gospel for the first time, when that light went on for you. Maybe for some of you, you're in the process of that or you haven't even experienced that yet. But for many of us, we, we could point back to a time and say, there was a time in my life where God started to shift my heart and I saw the gospel in a different light, in a new way. Let me tell you, I had a bit of a personal awakening last weekend because Denise went up to the retreat, to the women's retreat, and left good old dad with a two, three, and four-year-old. There was an awakening that took place. Let me just give you a couple, just a snapshot of some of our adventures, okay? Our first adventure was that Arabella, she, um, she ran into our bathroom. She got on the toilet, and she went pee-pee like a big girl. Yes, this is a three-year-old. This is a win, a victory, hallelujah. The only problem was that the seat was down. <laughs> Dad got to do a little clean job there, cleaning. It's all right. I used 409 to disinfect, and it worked well. In fact, it worked so well that I decided to use it on the toilet and the floor also, not just Arabella. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. I'm totally kidding. I'm totally kidding. I used Simple Green, not 409. <laughs> the next, uh, our next adventure was that I took him to the pet store, right? This is a good place to go. We'll go. We'll look at the cute little animals and stuff. And so um, they, when they went in, uh, Dominic was holding a lollipop. And I turn around, and there's no lollipop. I said, Dominic, what happened to the lollipop? And he points to the chinchilla cage. The chinchilla has a little sugar rush going on over there. Unbelievable. So then, then the next thing, the next thing, it just keeps getting better. So the, the next thing was, you know, at nighttime, was that there's a seldom occurrence that happens that is typically reserved for just the very special moments, the occasions where dad is all by himself with the kids, left alone when all three kids wet their beds in the same, same night. Awesome. There was an awakening that happened to how incredible my wife is. She does this on the daily and is awesome. But all of us need to have this awakening in our own lives to the gospel. It's personal. It's not just something that was happening in Acts back in the day. It's not just something that happened because a few people got together in 1906 or 1970, whatever. God wants to pour out his gospel in a fresh way. He's using, he wants to use us to expand that in a fresh way. And so we have to take a look at Acts, and we have to experience that today. That's the, that's the whole concept of resurgence. We've been using this tagline, revisiting the past to take hold of the future. Now, I thought, 
that was a great tagline for like a new kids on the block reunion tour. Like remembering the past, take hold. But no, this is, they, they went with mixtape tour instead. Whatever, okay, that's fine. But for us, we've got to remember the past because this is not only history, this is God's movement in us and what he wants to do. This was the establishment of what he wanted us to live out. And so revival is not just some concept of Christianity that maybe someday it will happen. Revival is something that God desires for us to be a part of in our context today, right now. And he wants to use us to be a part of that. So we're going to take a look at this in the book of Acts because they were experiencing a progression of revival. And we want to look at what the anatomy of that looks like. Break this down to what revival actually looked like. So here we go. We're going to jump in here in Acts chapter 13. Verses 13 through 52. This is a big chunk, so you've got to follow along with me. Stay with me. All right, so here we go. Now, Paul and his companions. Now, I'm going to stop right there. i got five words in. Paul and his companions. Now, I just want to, this is a little bit of an aside. I just want to say, whenever you read Scripture, and it's happening all through the book of Acts, you see it in Jesus sending out the disciples. People are going together. They're going in community. They're going to represent the gospel with other people, with other believers. This concept of Lone Ranger Christianity is not in the Bible. It's okay to share your faith one-on-one with somebody. That's awesome. But as we will read, and what is demonstrated for us is that the best picture of gospel is in community. That's why we believe in community groups here at the church. We live this out together. We challenge each other to step out and we give people a picture of Jesus that's not just one dimensional, but they get to see the mosaic of who God is in working in different lives. So if you're not in community group, jump in. All right, so here, verse 13. Now Paul and his companions set sail from Paphos and came to Perga in Pamphylia. And John left them and returned to Jerusalem. But they went from Perga and came to Antioch and Poseidon. And on the Sabbath day, they went into the synagogue and sat down. And after reading from the law and the prophets, the rulers of the synagogue sent a message to them saying, brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, say it. So this is pretty cool. They go in uh, to, to Antioch and Poseidon. This is a different Antioch from what we're named after. But they go and they go, they go first to the synagogue and they sit and they just listen. They're just a part. They're not pushing an agenda they're just listening. They're being a part of what's going on. And as a result, they're invited to speak. So Paul, he's like, okay, golden opportunity. We're going to share the gospel first to the Jews. So in the synagogue to the Jewish leaders, Paul stands up and he's going to give an account of the gospel. Now what's key here is to listen to how he crafts his, de- his, his proclamation of the gospel. Okay, so we'll... Um, We'll take a look at this together. All right, so in verse 16, we're going to pick it up and read, uh, read the remaining bunch here, okay? So, so Paul stood up and motioning with his hand said, Men of Israel and you who fear God, listen. The God of this people Israel chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with uplifted arm, he led them out of it. And for about 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. By the way, I love the way that he says this. He put up with, that God put up with them. 
because they kept walking away from him. God had to have to bring them back. So God puts up with them for 40 years. All right, so verse 19, And after destroying seven nations in the land of Canaan, he gave them their land as an inheritance. And all this took place, or took about 450 years. And after he had given them judges until Samuel the prophet, then they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And when he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, from whom he testified and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart, who will do all my will. Of this man's offspring, God has brought to Israel a Savior, Jesus, as he promised. Before his coming, John had proclaimed a baptism of repentance to all the people of Israel. And as John was finishing his course, he said, What do you suppose that I am? I am not he. No, but behold, after me is one, a one is coming, the sandals of whose feet I am unworthy to untie. So he is starting to link the history of Israel to the coming of Jesus. There's a historical link that he's trying to demonstrate for them. Continuing in verse 26, he says, Brothers, sons of the family of Abraham and those among you who fear God, to us has been sent the message of this salvation. For those who live in Jerusalem and their rulers, because they did not recognize him, nor understand the utterance of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled them by condemning him. I love that. That's a little jab. He's saying, you guys read about this in your scripture every time you gather, but you didn't recognize Jesus when he was among you. He's, he's, he's saying, don't do this. Don't be those guys. Look at what's before you. Verse 28. And though they found in him no guilt worthy of death, they asked Pilate to have him executed. And when they had carried him out, when they have carried out all that was written of him, they took him down from the tree and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who had come up with, uh, with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, who are now his witnesses to the people. Listen to this. And we bring you the good news of what God promised to the fathers. This he has fulfilled to us, their children, by raising Jesus. This is the message we're bringing you. As it is also written in the second Psalm. Now he's going to link it to their scripture. He's linked it to Jesus to their history. Now he's linking it to their scripture. As it is written in the second Psalm. You are my son. Today I have begotten you. And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no, no more to see uh, to return to corruption, he has spoken this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessing of David. Therefore, he says also in another psalm, you will not let your holy one see corruption. For David, after he had served the purposes of God in his own generation, fell asleep and was laid with his fathers and saw corruption. But he who God raised up did not see corruption. Let it be known to you, therefore, brothers, that, though, that through this uh, man forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you, and by him everyone who believes is freed from everything from which you could not be freed by the law of Moses. Wow. He is bringing it here. He's bringing the news, the good news. He's bringing the gospel. And he ends there saying, look, you put so, so much emphasis on the law of, of Moses and even on David, but, and you read the Psalms of David, but David, he did his job and then he fell asleep. He died. But Jesus is the one who will never see corruption, who will never pass away because he's raised to life. 
He's preaching the gospel to them. The gospel is to wake us up. That's what he's trying to do here. In fact, he goes to uh, great lengths to, to string together an argument that's contextualized. That's something that they will get. He's speaking to them on their level about their history and their scripture and their lineage. We got to do that too. We have to use methods that speak to our culture, to the people around us, to our context about who Jesus is. We get to give testimony to this gospel just like Paul's doing. But the purpose is to wake us up, to shine the light again. Do you remember that time when your heart shifted? Do you remember being skeptical? Do you remember God awakening you to the reality of who you are, of who you are in him? I remember when I was, um, I don't know how old I was, I was probably about six um, we went to church, and uh, the church met in the music uh, auditorium of a high school. So it had these tiered steps uh, where the choir would stand. And I remember sitting up on, near the top, and as a six-year-old, I, worship was like the worst thing. It's like, can we get over worship so that I can get dismissed to go to my class and actually have fun? But I had to sit through worship and watch the adults like, do their thing uh, while I'm waiting to get to class. So I remember sitting there as a six-year-old, just like, okay, here we go. But I looked down, down and to the right, there was a girl, one of my friends, like this, worshiping God with her arms up, just, wor- just fully invested into worship. And I remember thinking as a six-year-old, wow, she can worship. That means I can worship too. This isn't just an adult thing. This isn't just my parents' thing. This is for me too. I can worship. And so I, I, I was into it, man. I started worshiping. I started worshiping with the grown-ups. It was awesome. In fact, I got so excited. I went home and I said, if, if the grown-ups, um, if I can worship like the grown-ups, then I can preach like the grown-ups too. And my mom, my mom, she would watch Jimmy Swagger. You remember, anybody remember Jimmy Swagger, this fiery TV evangelist? And he would always give these impassioned, like, gospel presentations. And my mom would watch this, and I'd pick up on this. And so then I'd go, and I'd stand on the dining room chair, and I'd grab the drapery cord as my microphone, and I'd preach to my sister. I don't know. I think I got her saved. She might have been my first convert. This is because the light went off. On a little, in, a, in the mind of a little six-year-old, the, I was awakened to the gospel, that I can experience this. And some of us, we need to experience the gospel in a new way. You know, there's places in us that they get dry over time. It doesn't, the, the gospel doesn't have the same fresh expression that it once did. Can you remember when it was fresh, when it was new, when God was like re- so real to you? He wants us to live there. He wants us to experience that personal revival in our own hearts of experiencing the gospel so that we're changed and so that we're transformed, so that it begins to alter our values and our priorities and our finances and our time and how we use our giftings and our relationships and our decisions, all of who we are. And when we do that, when we allow the gospel to penetrate our lives to that level, guess what happens? Just like Paul, God uses us to shine the light on somebody else. 
our light, our, our, the light of our life becomes a demonstration of the gospel to other people. And that's how revival starts. It doesn't start as some big movement. It starts with an individual who's awakened to the gospel in their life. To somebody who's desperate to know God in a new way. It happens because individuals take that on and say, I'm going to demonstrate this. I'm going to lead people into, into this process. So revival, it starts with the gospel as its foundation. It has to start there. And look at what, what Paul tells the church of Ephesus. I love this. In Ephesians 3, uh, 17 and 19, he says this to the church. He says, so that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have the strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. You catch that? He talks about comprehending, but then he says there is a knowing of God of the height and depth and length of who God is, this, the incredible nature of God that only comes by experiencing Him. It's not about knowledge. It's not about uh, memorizing Scripture, although that's a good thing. It's not about coming and hearing a sermon. That's a great thing. It's not about uh, prayer groups or Bible study or whatever else. Those are great things. They're part of our process. They're part of knowing God. But he's saying, you've got to experience Jesus. You've got to go to the foundation of the gospel for that light to come and shine and to renew the dry places. You have to experience him in a way that goes way beyond knowledge. Education won't get it done. We have to experience him. And then the cool thing is that then we get to be his ambassadors. Second Corinthians talks about this where we're actually invited, we're implored to, do, to, to reconcile other people to Christ as his ambassadors. And we get to represent that gospel into the lives of other people. I've spent quite a bit of time here laying the foundation, and we're going to move on, but we've got to get that because we need to experience the gospel in fresh ways. That's the spark of revival. So revival starts with the gospel, but then the gospel, it demands a response. It demands a response. Because with Jesus, there's, there's no remaining neutral. Jesus was a polarizing figure. You either, you either uh, submitted and, and, and learned, leaned in and discovered who he was and what he was about and, and experienced him, or you resisted and you reject him. There's really no middle ground. When we choose to follow God, we, it's a choice to give, to be all in. But it's also a choice to help other people to respond to the gospel. And that's how we get to minister to people. That's called discipleship. As we walk with other people through the process of responding to the gospel. So we shine the light. We don't really get to do the work. God's going to do it in their lives. But then we walk with people. We get to help them unravel what this looks like, how this is lived out, how this is experienced, how to respond to the gospel. It's pretty awesome that we get to participate in that. 
this, uh, this week, I was in a, a room with 60 other leaders from around the world as we got to listen to, um, to Rick Warren and talk about small groups and, and community groups and missional communities. And one of the things that, um, that Rick was sharing was that he believes that the front doors of the church are not how people will enter the kingdom anymore. It's through the side doors of community, community groups, community, gospel communities that are demonstrating to the world the, 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 this light again. He said, we have an epidemic of loneliness in America. 50% of Americans say they're lonely. This is in an age where we have social media and more, con- more ways to connect than ever before. But it's not a, a replacement for relationship. And so there's, he's shining a light on the opportunity that's before us as gospel communities to represent to people a, a, a hope, the hope of the gospel, that they can experience that and respond to that. They respond to who Jesus is. Well, look at this, uh, look at how people responded to Paul uh, going on in verse 40 here. It says, Beware, therefore, lest what is said in the prophets should come about. Look, you scoffers, be astounded and perish, for I am doing a work in your days, a work that you will not believe even if one tells it to you. He's saying, okay, wake up, guys. Here it is. You've got to respond to this. And here's how they responded. It says in verse 42, As they went out, the people begged that these things might be told them the next Sabbath. And after the meeting of the synagogue broke up, many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, who, as they spoke with them, urged them to to continue in the grace of God. Did you catch that? That they spoke with them and they urged them to continue. They're helping them to not only hear the gospel, but to respond to it, to know how to respond, to know how to live that out. It's the beginning levels of discipleship. By the way, this is why we do Discipleship Essentials. You heard John mention that we've got the, the classes coming again. We, we want to hear from Jesus in his own words what it looks like to follow him. And we process that together so that we know how to respond as believers to the gospel. What are we supposed to actually do with it to live it out? This is discipleship. And then it says this in verse 44. It says, the next Sabbath... Almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. Wow, that's revival that's happening. Because Paul, one guy, gets up and talks. People are, the, the, the gospel goes out. And then Paul, in, in, with Barnabas in community, they tell them, they kind of demonstrate and show, hey, here's how you get going. This is what it looks like. And what can they do but to go and respond and tell people about it? It's word of mouth. This is how God's been working for thousands of years. This is his method of getting the word out. It's your word of mouth. It's you experiencing the gospel and then responding to the gospel by going and sharing it with other people. And what's the result? The entire city, the whole city comes out to hear. It's pretty awesome. How do we respond to the gospel to start following Jesus? How do we respond? It's not a formula. It's not a ritual. It's just simply a a humbling to say, God, 
I'm coming to you. I need you. Show yourself to me. If you've never experienced that, talk to me after service. If you have experienced that, ask yourself, is it fresh? Is it fresh? Or do I need to, to, to ask the Lord to renew that, to revive that in me again? We've got to be able to help people then connect the dots. As we minister, as we move out, as ambassadors for Christ, we get to be the ones to say, here's how you respond. And when we do that, it just spreads like wildfire by word of mouth. What does that require of us? It requires active obedience. Active, we have to do something. Obedience, we have to do what he told us to do. Because here's the thing, relying on somebody else to get the job done won't get the job done. It won't cut it because we are his people. He's relying on the word of our mouth to testify to the greatness of his gospel in our lives. So we're part of this process. That process of, of revival, that's the process that we're a part of today, that we, are, we help unravel that in the lives of other people. So revival starts with the gospel. It demands a response. And then, listen, a common response is resistance. This is the other side of the coin here. They experienced the whole city coming out to hear the gospel, but they also experienced resistance. Have you ever encountered resistance to the gospel? Now, we, we hear examples from, the, from other countries about this extreme persecution, and we're like, yeah, that, that, you know, I don't really see that in my life. But we experience um, resistance in subtle ways, don't we? In fact, I have a neighbor um, in, in our complex, our condo complex, there's these communal barbecues. And so we go out there, and he barbecues all the time, and we, I like to grill. And so we, I see him out there all the time, and we've talked and built this relationship, and we've had the conversations of, what do you do? What do you do? He, he knows my faith. He knows who I am. And so I have looked for opportunities to build relationship with this guy and, and introduce him to, to, to Jesus and just by my life and who I am. And, and, um, and what I have found is that there is a line that he's willing to be very cordial, very friendly, very accepting, very loving. We have a great friendship, a good relationship, but there's a line that you, we bump up to and it's you believe what you want and I'll do my thing. And it's subtle. It's, it's in the relationship, in our conversation, it's subtle, but it's there. And you can feel there's a resistance, a pushing back, like, that's your thing. That's not my thing. Then we, we, we experience resistance also in not-so-subtle ways sometimes too, don't we? I mean, sometimes it's not that subtle. It's blatant. In fact, um, last week, while, while Denise was away at women's retreat again, um, I took the kids to McDonald's. I was like, okay, anything we can do to buy 30 minutes of, you know, the kids, are, the kids can go and play and have fun. So we're on the way home from that, and we passed um, by, this, uh, by this shop, and Isaiah said, he said, Dad, what is that over there? And I said, well, Isaiah, that's a tattoo shop. And he, he says, oh, Dad, I had a tattoo. And I said, yeah, you, you've had a tattoo, but your, your tattoo washes off. Those are the kind that don't wash off. They last forever. And he's like, they last forever. Well, that's cool. I, I want one of those. What, what is that like? And I was like, okay, all right, we're going to have this conversation. So I said, well, Isaiah, getting a tattoo, one of those tattoos, a real tattoo, you, you know like when you go to the doctor and you get a shot 
and they put that needle in your arm? I said, it's kind of like that, but you get that shot thousands and thousands of times. <laughs> His eyes got big. Arabella from the back seat, she goes, Dad, we are never going near that place. Sometimes the resistance to the gospel is a little bit more like that, isn't it? We are never going near that. I don't want anything to do with that. Sometimes it's a challenge. But we get to help people respond. And we get to live this out so that people get to experience it in a way that, they, that, that the gospel can penetrate their lives. Now look, we don't do that by pounding the gospel in people's faces. We do it by living lives that are so amazingly different that people are like, what is going on there? We love people. We look for opportunities to demonstrate the gospel by our lives and to declare it into people's pain and hurt. The places of loneliness, like I talked about. The opportunities that come. The opportunities to meet resistance with love. It changes people's stance. It changes people's hearts. So when you experience resistance, don't just write them off. See how God is working through it. Now here in Acts, they experience some pretty extreme resistance. Look here in verse 45, it says, But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, it was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you, since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life. Wow. Behold, we are turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light to the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. And when the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal, um, to, to eternal life believed. And the word of the Lord was spreading, listen, was spreading throughout the whole region now. Wait a second. They were just preaching in the synagogue. And then the city came out. And now it's in the whole region? Verse 50. But the Jews incited devout women of high standing and the leading men of the city stirred up persecution against Paul and Barnabas and drove them out of their district. That's resistance, right? That's resistance. They literally disqualified themselves from hearing the gospel because they, they weren't ready. They couldn't, they couldn't perceive that. But does it detour Paul and Barnabas? No, they keep going. They keep sharing. And the whole region gets to hear the gospel. When we, um, when we push through that resistance that we encounter, it takes us releasing something. It takes the ability to not take it personal, but to just say, okay, God, I'm going to release that to you. I'm going to not take it personal, and I'm going to trust, God, that you're at work in their life. How, ask yourself this. How have I surrendered my life to follow the ways of Jesus, and how am I helping other people in spite of resistance I might face, to experience that as well. Are there places where I've experienced resistance and it's disqualified me? We don't like, to, we don't like um, pushback, do we? 
We have fear of failure. We want to be people pleasers. There's all these things that play into this. But if revival is going to not just spark, but continue to affect generations and regions, we're going to have to push through some resistance. We're going to have to not take it personal. We're going to have to release that to God. So revival starts with the gospel. It demands a response. Sometimes there's resistance, but that resistance should elicit resolve in us. That's the next part here. Take a look at the resolve here in Acts. It says they shook off, in verse 51, they shook off the dust from their feet against them and went to Iconium. And the disciples were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. Isn't that amazing? They're experiencing this extreme resistance. And what does it say? They shook it off and they're filled with joy and with the Spirit of God to continue the work. God's continuing to empower even when they face the most difficult challenges. This is how in just about 300 years, the gospel goes from 120 people in the upper room waiting for the Holy Spirit to be poured out to the gospel being alive and active in the entire region because people pushed through this and resolved the gospel that transformed my life. There's no other response but to share it. I'm going to share it with those people around me. That's how revival happens. We've got to recommit to that. Sometimes we have to recommit to that. And that involves active obedience. There it is again. We have to do something and we have to obey. We have to obey what God commissioned us to do. Because stopping won't get the job done. It won't do it. Here's the last thing. After we resolve this whole process, this is what brings about revival. When we resolve and we keep pushing through, that's when we get to see revival take off and that process continue. Look at this graphic. This is what, this is what that looks like. Gospel, it starts with the gospel. That's the foundation. Our response to the gospel. We respond to the gospel and we help other people respond by our testimony. One of those ways that they respond might be resistance. But we push through that with resolve for the gospel and say, we are going to keep driving because this is what God has called us to. And it's how his gospel goes out to the whole, the whole world. When that happens, that's revival. And this is something that we can experience, that we can know, that we can be a part of. That progression was there. It, was, it started in the synagogue. It went to the whole city. It went to a people group, the Gentiles, and then it went to the whole region. That can be true for us. It can start with you. It can go to your neighbors. It can transform Simi Valley. It can impact Ventura County. We are God's gospel people. And revival is for today. The gospel is for today. God's truth in your life is for today. And we can do that. We're a part of this. I want to I just ask as we end, I'm going to invite the worship team up. We're going we're to sing one more song together. And I want to just invite you to, to think for a moment where you stand Revival might seem, again, like, that, like this big concept or something. But it starts with an individual who just says, 
I want to know God. The revivals of history, they started because people were on their knees in prayer, desperate to know Jesus, desperate to experience Him. And I wonder if you're desperate to know Him today. Some of us were desperate at one point, but somewhere along the way we lost that. Now we kind of go through the motions. We hope that someone else will complete the task of, of God's gospel going out and people knowing it. We're going to be along for the ride. But that's not God's call on your life. He wants you to be right in the middle of it. Right in the middle of what he's doing. And so how we respond to the gospel is everything. We need to say, Lord, is the gospel fresh and alive? Is it transforming me today? And then some of us, we need to, we need to ask ourselves, what's my resolve for the gospel? Not just what is my response to it, but what is my, what's going to be my resolve for the gospel? How am I going to step out and be part of this thing? Be part of the expansion of God's kingdom in this world? Let me pray for us. Lord Jesus, I thank you that each one of us has been given the opportunity to know you, to experience you, to be transformed by you. That, Lord God, you move into those places of our lives where there's hurt and there's pain, and you bring restoration and you bring hope. Lord God, you did that not just for me, but because it's who you are. It's your gospel. It's, your, it's good news to me and it's good news to this world that you throughout all of human history are about reconciling people back to yourself. You're, you're about bringing us back into relationship and Lord, you want to use us to be a part of that process in other people's lives. God, I pray that you would awaken us to the vision that your gospel is bigger than us. It's bigger than education. It's bigger than knowing. It's about experiencing you and then walking with people so that they can respond to it also. God, awaken our hearts today in the ways that you want us to respond. In Jesus' name.